Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. It's another beautiful day here in paradise. No, not Floston Paradise, but in Portland, Oregon. Today we're getting into one of the most underrated sci-fi movies of all time, in my opinion, The Fifth Element. By the way, the song you just heard from the closing credits was made by Eric Serra for the film. But don't worry, we'll be getting into the diva song in just a little bit. Let's take a space cruise to save the Earth from a giant evil ball of doom in this episode of Science Factual. I'm your host, Reese Hendricks, certified nerd and bona fide Fifth Element fan. Now, I know what you must be thinking, Reese, this is the fourth episode of Science Factual. Why would you be doing the Fifth Element? Well, just like in your water cooler fact coming up in a little bit, we start out with just four elements, the fifth of which we learn what it is at the end. So stay tuned for some facts. But before we do... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This is a priority one spoiler alert. If you have not seen the movie, now is a good time to switch over to something else. Otherwise, enjoy these facts. Here are a couple of facts about the cast and director. Director Luc Besson wrote the original screenplay while still in grade school. The concept was created as a means to escape a lonely childhood, writing the script when he was just 16. However, the screenplay wouldn't see the light of day until he was 38 years old. So if that's if you feel like you're doing nothing in life, just know that a lot of people strike gold later in life, Yeah, uh, including uh, Samuel L. Jackson. He wasn't 43, I believe, until he landed that role in Die Hard 2. At any rate, The Divine Language was invented by co-writer and director Luc Besson and was made unique by Lilu actress Mila Jovovich. The language contained but 400 words in its entirety. However, it went so far as that the two were writing notes to each other on set and having full-blown conversations using the language. How effective or overreaching the language actually was, I guess only those two will know. Luc Besson's favorite number is five, a theme we see recurring throughout the movie, aside from the name. For instance, Corbin Dallas's license had five points left on it, even though he had just the one to spare. Ruby Rod's show starts at five o'clock. Zorg stops the bomb he placed within five seconds less to spare. The Mangalore's bomb starts with a five-second countdown timer. Towards the end of the fifth element, Ruby Rod says, there's a bomb going off every five minutes. In the final scene, when President Lindbergh visits Lilu and Corbin, the scientist says, uh, they need about five more minutes. The New York scenes were created using a combination of CGI for the flying cars, live action for the people, and scale models, the buildings, 
in a crew of 80 on the production design team spent five months building dozens of city blocks at 124th scale. Besson took it upon himself to condense all three scripts into one story arc. Now, I have to track down the original format to see what they excluded from the movie, because I'm sure it's many scenes. Gary Oldman actually took on the role of Zorg without even reading the script, because he was a good friend of Besson, and in fact took the role sight unseen because Besson had partially financed another movie Oldman was in and directed called Nil by Mouth, a British drama about a middle-class family that was met with lukewarm reviews at best. Oldman said of the film, meaning The Fifth Element, that he can't bear it uh, when asked about his performance in the movie. Mila Jovovich beat out over 8,000 women who auditioned for the role, and the close to 300 who actually read for the role of Lilu. Most notably, uh, her alternatives would have been Elizabeth Berkeley from Saved by the Bell fame and Julia Roberts. I don't know, I think that they made the right choice with Mila Jovovich. Luc Besson had five features under his belt, there's that number five he keeps manifesting, before the filming of The Fifth Element. But none of them really gave him the clout required to pull off an out-there movie just yet. Uh, so he put The Fifth Element aside and wrote and directed Leon the Professional in the meantime. Another awesome movie starring Jean Reno, Natalie Portman, and Gary Oldman. This flick uh, gave Besson the boost he needed to get The Fifth Element started and funded. At the time, at $80 million, The Fifth Element cost more to make than any other sci-fi film made outside of Hollywood. A huge budget for 1997 in regards to just visual effects. Corbin Dallas, the protagonist, and Zorg, the antagonist, never actually meet in the film at any point. Besson went against the grain in The Fifth Element, saying that every time a scenario presented itself, like the villain fighting the hero at the end, for instance, he decided to reject those more classical encounters. Here's a quick synopsis of the movie and a little bit of character analysis for you. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the movie plot or just haven't seen it in a while, here's a quick synopsis from the good folks over at fandom.com. The story's premise is that every 5,000 years, in conjunction with a planetary arrangement, a, quote, great evil appears whose purpose is to destroy life. In preparation for the next appearance in the year 2263, a group of aliens called the Mandashawan arrive on Earth in 1914 to extract the only weapon capable of defeating the great evil, a collection of four stones representing the classical elements and the eponymous fifth element that conjugates the other four into organic life. After taking the weapons, the Mandashawans present a key to a priest and tell him to pass the information, provoking their mission through future generations in preparation for the evil's arrival. In 2263, the great evil appears and destroys an interplanetary battleship. When the Mandashawans attempt to deliver the elements back to the Earth, they are ambushed by another alien race, the shape-shifting Mangalores. Earthly scientists are able to recover a portion of the fifth element and use a reconstitution device to recreate it, whereupon it takes the form of an apparently human woman named Lilu, described as, quote, the perfect being. Lilu, terrified of her unfamiliar environs, escapes these scientists and arrives in the care of a taxi driver, Corbin Dallas, former major in the Federated Army's Special Forces. 
Dallas then delivers her to priest Vito Cornelius, the current holder of the Mondeschauen's knowledge. Dallas, Cornelius, and his acolyte David help Lilu recover, though Dallas is forced out of Cornelius's apartment before learning her purpose. Cornelius learns from Lilu that the four elements were not carried by the Mondeschauens, but instead entrusted to Diva Plava Laguna, who we'll get to in a minute a singer currently performing on a luxury space liner at Floss in Paradise, and that Lilu must recover the stones from her. Meanwhile, wealthy industrialist Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg has attempted to gain the stones as urged by communication with the great evil. After learning that Mangalore's attack on the Mount of Shawans was unsuccessful in recovering the stones, Zorg betrays and kills them, Whereupon the surviving Mangalores, whereupon the surviving Mangalores decide to exact revenge and gain the stones for themselves. Dallas is later met at his apartment by his general Monroe, who informs him that he has been drafted into the army in order to travel to meet the diva, having rigged the annual Gemini Croquette contest to allow Dallas to win. Their meeting is interrupted by the arrival of Cornelius and Lilu. Dallas, learning of Lilu's need, offers to help, but is knocked out by Cornelius, who steals his winning transportation tickets and departs with Lilu. Dallas accepts a job from General Monroe and travels to John F. Kennedy International Airport, but really it should be John F. Kennedy Intergalactic Airport. Intercepting Cornelius, David, and Lilu before they board their flight, he escorts Lilu on the way to Floston. The Mangalores and Zorg's assistant are rebuffed by the ticketing agent when they try to pose as Dallas. Cornelius instructs David to prepare the temple and then sneaks aboard the passenger space plane before it leaves. On the flight, Dallas meets interstellar radio personality Ruby Rod, who escorts him for being the contest winner. Upon arrival at Floss in Paradise, Dallas is taken by Ruby to prepare for the show, while Lilu waits near the diva's quarters in order to retrieve the stones from her after her performance. The diva show is interrupted by the Mangalores, and the diva is fatally shot. Dallas learns from her dying words that the diva has hidden the stones inside of her body. After she dies, Dallas extracts them, giving them to Ruby as he defeats the Mangalores and saves the rest of the passengers and crew. Lilu is able to defeat the Mangalores that attempt to ransack the diva's quarters. Uh, Zorg, however, having flown himself to Floston, fights Lilu at the diva's quarters, injuring her and forcing her to retreat. This allows him to take the case he believes contains the stones while starting a time bomb. When Dallas goes to recover Lilu, Zorg finds the case to be empty. Zorg re-enters the liner just as Dallas, Lilu, Cornelius, and Ruby leave it on Zorg's ship. Zorg is able to stop his bomb, but the defeated Mangalores activate another bomb, destroying Zorg and the liner. The four, meaning Lilu, Dallas, Cornelius, and Ruby, return to the temple on Earth as the great evil rushes towards the planet. There, Dallas finds Lilu disillusioned and unwilling to perform her role as the final weapon, believing that humans will destroy themselves despite her attempt to rescue them. As the protagonists arrange the stones in the temple for, to form their weapon, they are briefly baffled by their ignorance of the weapon's operation, but discover that each stone is triggered by the presence of the classical element to which it corresponds. Dallas then convinces Lilu to perform her role, embraces her, and kisses her. At this point, Lilu releases the weapon Divine Light, causing the great evil to become a new moon in Earth's orbit. Later, the President and General Monroe go to the Reconstitution Lab to congratulate Dallas on his successful mission, but he and Lilu are unavailable, despite the President's assertion that he is in a hurry, because there are super more important things to do than the end of the world. 
Viewers then see Dallas and Lilu are together in the resurrection chamber. Here's some facts behind the movie and some character background. Corbin Dallas, played by Bruce Willis, uh, who was actually an easy get as far as Hollywood action stars go, uh, Luc Besson said that casting Willis was one of the easiest parts of the movie. He came to meet Willis in New York, and within a couple of hours, uh, he agreed to play the part. By the way, that voice that you hear Corbin talking with, presumably an ex-military buddy over the phone, that's actually Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although uncredited, we do see a long voiceover career for Vin, most notably uh, as uh, Groot recently in the Guardians of the Galaxy series and Avenger vehicles. Speaking of the military, before becoming a cab driver who was in the right place at the right time, Dallas was a major in the Special Forces for the Federated Army, hence being tapped by the FA for the task of recovering the stones on Floss in Paradise. The emotion shown by Bruce Willis when he's listening to the diva sing is his actual reaction to seeing and hearing her for the first time. So that's kind of interesting. Ruby Rod is quite possibly my favorite Chris Tucker role ever. Uh, by the way, both Prince and Michael Jackson were inspirations behind the flamboyant character, with Prince actually being a preferred casting choice, uh, which would have been pretty awesome, but I am just as happy to watch Chris Tucker being an intergalactic diva. It's, 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 no, 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 Because if it was a bomb, the alarms will go off because all these hotels have bomb detectors, right? Uh, Rod is the eccentric and flirtatious host of a popular intergalactic radio show with a quarter of the Federated Territory's population. That's over 50 billion people, a lot less than this podcast, uh, listening in. Rod is adored by his posse and fans everywhere he goes, always searching for the juiciest show content. And does he sure get it when uh, he's aboard the Floss in Paradise? Uh, yes, that's right. By the way, the name of the ship is Floss in Paradise with the actual world or planet they visit uh, just being called Planet Floston. Next, we have Lilu, or the Supreme Being, and I mention that because her full name is Lilu Minai Lekatariba Lamina Chai Ekbat Desevat, or Lilu for short. She was sent to Earth in corporeal form to become the fifth element, the final piece of a powerful weapon to destroy the great evil. After getting reanimated in a lab, she escapes and finds herself in the cab of Corbin Dallas, setting off the events in the movie. She appears human, but with bright orange hair. Despite being a small build, she is exceptionally strong, even being able to bring down a large Mandalore with just a single backhand, which is a great fight scene with really cool choreography. But not all of it is what it seems. Part of the fight sequence required a kick that just wasn't quite Emil Jovovich's arsenal at the time, so they used a fake leg that was operated just out of frame for the effect. Not only is the Supreme Being strong, but she's smart to boot, learning English overnight, basically. She absorbs knowledge at a very fast rate, something that gets touched on in the film as she gets to the concept of war. But there are tons of words before war that are potentially equally devastating, like I don't know, famine, disease, uh, murder, and others. Moving on to the priest, or more formally Father Vito Cornelius, accompanied by his assistant Danny, is the spry monk who is the guardian of the supreme being's knowledge here on earth. He is nothing if not persistent in his quest to retrieve and protect the stones in order to activate 
uh, the divine light to save the earth and the universe at large from the great evil. He goes so far as to climb up into the gears of the spacecraft that Dallas and Lilu take from Flossed in Paradise. How he ends up in the ceiling of the craft later is anyone's guess. By the way, speaking of that scene, what was with the shoehorned-in character of the Rastafarian Jamaican flight deck coordinator? Just slanging radioactive cores and stereotypes, I guess. Moving on to Zorg, played by the very awesome Gary Oldman, uh, he was inspired by a pretty unlikely source. His persona and accent, to an extent, was based on none other than the notorious businessman and former presidential candidate, Ross Perot. For those of you who don't remember Ross Perot, this is what he sounds like. See, I'm the only guy that talks numbers. Mm -hmm. I love this. Nobody else will even talk about it. Like I've said, it's like a crazy ant in the basement. Everybody knows she's there, but nobody talks about it. Now, whose fault is that? By the way, Zorg's full name is Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, which is pretty B.A. if you ask me. Zorg is the reason that the great evil is heading toward Earth, having been tapped by the evil to do its bidding and retrieve the elemental stones so that the fifth element could never be properly activated. Thankfully, despite many attempts and lots of murder later, he fails and is ironically killed by a bomb as he defuses the one that he set himself on the very ship where his life ends. Hey, check out this interview with Melissa Thomas, comic and nerd mom from Washington State. She's all over the Pacific Northwest doing comedy shows, so we met up over the phone to discuss the fifth element, audio prostology, reluctant heroism, and her recent show at Coco Joe's in Algona, Washington. Cool. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. Oh, good. Happy Sunday, Reese. Everybody here is watching this very tight football game right now. So we got oh, who's, uh, who's somebody playing? listening to it. I, I, I'm actually familiar. I, I can't afford cable because open mics are unpaid. Uh, so. <laughs> For real. Uh, the 49ers are playing the Seahawks. Okay. Are you a, tw are you a 12th person? I am not. Uh, I was raised in Wisconsin. They don't allow that there. Okay, no. so you're you're a Vikings fan then. A Packers fan. Oh, Packers what? fan. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a that was a serious <laughs> faux pas right off the bat. It's I, probably not Real House. We'll stick to sci-fi. It's good. It's cool. Yeah, there's a reason why I'm a sci-fi nerd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I wasted my height. A lot of people assume that I play basketball. I'm six foot six. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, uh, I played water polo instead. Oh, that is just, you don't even know. That just tickles my heart. I hope these aren't being recorded. But I actually dated an Olympian water polo player. Like, he was beautiful. It was one of the more beautiful moments. In we, we are recording, and that's totally fine. Water polo players, <laughs> we are beautiful. We, we have perfectly sculpted bodies. I'm still, oh this God. is, this is me thinking back now. Perfectly sculpted bodies. <laughs> oh um, my God. Yeah, he could make a heart go pitter-patter. I was like, dang, oh my God. <laughs> but then it happened to be like one of those, you know, 20 years later, and he's completely overweight and yeah. like, you know, at least 60 pounds heavier and not, he's like that high school reunion guy that you wanted to run into and then you did and you're like, oh, totally disappointed. Ooh, what happened? Like an always, no, but his... always sunny in Philadelphia situation. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen the episode, but what was really cool is he was like high society. So he couldn't like marry me because I was like kind of lowbrow. Wow. And he told me, and he's like, you're not like a debutante, I'm sorry. 
his his wedding i'm not even kidding his wedding was attended by troy aikman the mayor of oakland um some other famous like dolphin players i was like oh my god i was i was dating way out of my league reese <laughs> hey you know nickel for every time i that happened for me um <laughs> I, I would say I married outside of my league, so I did. I pulled the ultimate <laughs> touchdown, the ultimate TD. Yeah. Um, uh, awesome. So, so let me ask you, Melissa. Uh, what, what do you have an Instagram comedy Instagram? Do you have an Instagram that's where we, where people can see your your clips or where your upcoming shows are? Sure. So I do just use regular um, my regular personal Instagram for my my comedy. I, it's just the Melissa Thomas um, at Melissa at uh, Melissa Thomas. And I'm on Facebook under Melissa Thomas as well. So cool. I don't honestly, um, I am a comedy snob and like really big fan and grew up with it and worked at the improv, but I'm probably not going to do, I do comedy as a hobby, but I'm probably not doing it to make money or get, or have people follow me for the love of yeah, God. A lot, a lot of people <laughs> who do it don't make money. Or gain right. followers, so you're you're right up in there with with the most of us. Uh, right, <laughs> it's fun. I'm trying to teach my kids get a hobby, go do something. Yeah, that you like. You know? Yeah, that's good advice. That's Stuff good. Like if, that. you, if you do something you like and you get paid for it, then you never work a day in your life, or so I'm told. <laughs> that's so we're told. Yeah, but we're still going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and and speaking of which, um, you are an audio press press. Uh, Audio. An audio. It's a mouthful. It's it is a mouthful. Hold on. Let me let yeah. me let me see if I can get it. I want to see if I can get it. Got it. All right. Got it. Got it. All right. Got it. This is for all the marbles. You ready? <laughs> ready. Audio prostology. You get nailed it. Oh, very cool. So you're an audio prostologist. Mm -hmm. Fake ears. I work with fake ears. Fake ears. Like yeah. they, so, do they make the whole ear now, or is it just an insert? Because like it is inserts. Like your okay. little tiny inserts that you wear in the back of your ears. And no matter what we put in their ears, people won't listen anyway. So I don't know why we're slinging these things. But that's, no, so right? you, you that's so true. That's so true. In one hearing aid and out the other. Ah, yeah, no. yeah. uh, the world. Half of the world against half of the world. So it's a weird time. It's a weird time. But you can actually hear people when you wear them. It's great. It's great. So you, you had a show yesterday at Coco Joe's, if I'm not mistaken. I did. I did. How it was, was it? super fun. I was the only girl. So I was Represent. like, yeah, I was representing. It was fun. I love those little bar crowds because you can see everybody's eyes. It's like better than a theater mm. where you're like, oh yeah, no, yeah, they're into it. Lights. Or they're not into it. Um, yeah, you can but... definitely tell when you're up, up close and personal if they're into it or not. <laughs> if you're if you're up on stage like at Helium or at the Improv or, or somewhere else, it's like just all yeah. lights. So you're yeah. just performing your bit at people instead of to people. And it I think that's, like a, that's a big difference. <laughs> it is. It just feels like you're just talking to a light. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like it when I first started. Um, super fun. It makes me want to ditch my kids forever and then go and just nice. do comedy. Because I was like, oh, my God, these kids get to practice way more than me. But I think I held my own. Nice. I, yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention um, uh, amongst your other credentials, mother of the year. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. You know, you know what's funny? This is gonna be a perfect segue. No kidding. Um, if this was record if this was videoed, mm. I was gonna show you my I was gonna show you my my DVD that I bought in nineteen ninety seven 
um, which I did not let. My, so I have two boys, 12 and 6, okay? I wouldn't let him watch this movie. I had it, and I had it out. It just happened to be, we just moved, and I happened to have this out. And so so kids, like, fate that you were like, who wants to talk about this movie? I was like, what? Um, well, that's BA yeah. that you have one from 97. That's that's back when one. they were manufacturing VHS DVD combo boxes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the, the picture because this bad boy had, like, the it's the ultimate edition. It has a whole second set of, like, the um, what is it called? I'm opening it right now. Like bloopers, the, um, director cut, extended speech, scenes, the special like, features. Yeah, yeah, a whole disc of special features. Um, yeah, back when they would do interviews with the stars and you know, like amazing. like um, uh, inside the actor's studio style interviews with them, uh, bloopers, oh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's cool. So that, I feel like Netflix just like ruined that for us because I used to just if I liked him film, I would just eat it up. I let my boys watch it. They're 12 and 6. I let them watch it last night. I was like, there's a naked girl. I was like, fine. You guys can watch it. Don't go crazy. There's a naked girl in it. Yeah, at 12, I was, I was finding naked girls on my own. Uh, not not actual <laughs> naked, naked girls. That, that was yet to come. But I, I mean, I and, and this was back in, you know, when the internet was uh, much slower. So what I'm getting at, guys, there's a will, there's a way. It's a good thing you're, you're, you know, giving it to them and it framed in a context. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, no. It was so funny because especially my little, oh, my God, he was, like, super impacted. He's like, Mom, this is, like, the best movie. They it's a cool movie. loved it. Like, we watched A Quiet Place, and they were, like, a mm. big fan of A Quiet Place. And this, like, topped A Quiet Place. They were like, oh, my God, this was so good. And I was like, wow, it really, for them, they're young. It really holds up. Yeah. But I got to say, for me, watching it again, oh, my God, I'm a huge fan. Still a huge fan for more reasons than one. However, it actually doesn't really hold up. <laughs> Oh, you don't, like, you don't, oh you don't think it holds up to today? Like, I, well, obviously, uh, yeah, CGI wise, which it was the most expensive sci-fi film at its at its yes. making with its That's with its budget, said. its CGI budget, and, and uh, um, you know, it's um, you, you don't think it holds up? I, you know, I well, I, I, I understand what this you mean, is, um, but like, yeah, script script wise, I, it seems very '90s, very Starship Troopers, very idiocracy, very like. Yeah. I think more thematically, um, story's great, cinematography's great, costume's great, everything was great. And and my kids are kids, kids. So they, you know, little brains, they just were like, this was awesome. It's funny, reluctant heroes, amazing, right? But as a feminist comic who just is like women's rights, I'm not like super feminist, right? I shave my legs, you know, stuff like that. But like, it's really almost like over the top sexist with the old guy and the young girl and like, the costumes are very like sexual, like definitely like lots of cleavage and boobs and like it's it, yeah, they even, try even to on, be even on Ruby Rod, yeah, like we we see cleavage there too. I bet. <laughs> but they at the time they thought it was like gender bending, but mm. watching it now and today's, I'm like, yeah, not so gender bending. Actually, like there were no female leaders. Um, True. And their costuming was very just sexual, sexual, especially with the females, um, like especially with the females. But yeah. the costuming it, was done by John Paul Gaultier and it's top notch. Don't get me wrong. But like for like gender roles, I don't feel like it held up as much, but entertaining nonetheless. I'm not that much of a, you know, a douche about feminism, but 
yeah. I was like, oh. I can, I can, I definitely see where you're coming from. There, there are so there is a lot of hypersexualization. Um, you know, especially of the supreme being that's supposed to be the savior. <laughs> but then again, this was yeah. So well, it, on, on the other side the, of that coin, you know, the, the the supreme being, the ultimate savior, is a, is, is a girl. Yeah, is a girl. And so maybe that's what the writers thought. Like everything else can be misogynistic and male leaders, but we have the one thing that can be a girl. So it was almost like a messaging, like we're giving you this, we, you guys are at the top. Like it's, it, so that was kind of their, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, relaxation on that. I, I don't know. Like I was like, well, she is a girl. So does that like wipe out all of it? Maybe back then it definitely did. You didn't see a lot of strong female stuff like what she did. No, that's sure. true. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was Ridley and aliens. Yeah. Like she was probably the first like strong female sci-fi lead role. Yeah. That was great. Um, yeah. Really, really good one. But did you hear, so there was, so there's like a bunch of stuff with this. So like, did you, you probably haven't even geeked out as much. I was like, what happened? So I first, got turned on this movie because I liked Jean Rousseau or um, Jean Rousseau and Gary Oldman and um, The Professional. That's it. Yeah. Um, so The Professional is how I started liking this, The Fifth Element. And Luke Besson's been married four times. Four in, times inclu in including to Mila Jovovich. Uh, he, he left his, his wife, who is my, uh, who, who plays... Uh, the diva. Papa Laguna, yeah. The diva. Yeah, yeah. Or at, at least portrays her. The the woman, there was a, they found someone to, like an actual opera singer to. Sing the song. How awkward would have that been? Like, you know your husband. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like Angelina Jolie. You can't put these ladies on set and not expect the husbands to just lose their mind. They're beautiful women. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I. I don't know if I would be able to do it. Not that I'm an overtly <laughs> jealous person, but just like I know how skeevy <laughs> other people are, and that's where my you know like skepticism would come from. I wouldn't be skeptical of my wife's capacity to turn people down. I would just be uh, worried about the frequency <laughs> in which she would be approached. You know what I mean? It's like. I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's a I, that's one of those primordial territorial things. Even though I don't view my wife as my property or territory, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just so one of woke. <laughs> so woke. Good for you. So yeah, I mean, it's twenty twenty one. Best best be woke. Um, best be woke. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but he, if you read a little bit about his life, he got into some controversy because he had the professional and he did that in his real life. Like he was something like almost 30 and he married a 15 year old. Mm. This is France back in the nineties. So this is France. Whatever. This is like the Charlotte Gainsbourg with her father <laughs> in that music video of France. <laughs> exactly. And then he did it a couple of times because he was 40 when she was, when Mia Jovovich was 20, basically she was like 21. He was 38. Um, and so he, he definitely has a theme with old guy, young girl. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, with the Hollywood cabal and all the sex cults that they're involved in and, like, blood ritual and, like, you know, child blood sex magic, you know, it, so, it, it, it tracks. Wow, it tracks. you're really going into you. Well, yeah. I, oh, did I not tell you to bring your tinfoil hat? Yeah. <laughs> you should have. It's sci-fi. Yeah, it yeah, you should have your receiver on at all times. Yeah. <laughs> 
he he did have a um, kind of like a Harvey Weinstein moment, but it's that that to me as a professional actually gets frustrating because I read about his Harvey Weinstein. A couple people accused him of some being um, being abnormal sexually. That's all I'll say about it. But then he was acquitted of everything, and so it's almost like was I go this, the was other this way. in France or the United States. He was in France. He okay. was in France. Well, like so, five yeah, of his like uh, five people came up with some allegations that inappropriateness, right? And um, that's but not I enough in France. You, that's that's a Tuesday afternoon. And you know what? Oh my God! Yeah, you. How far do you have to go? Because in France, they're a little more lenient, I guess, is what they say. To be like pulled in front of the judge, be like, "No, nah, this guy's shifty." But um, he they, he got acquitted, and then that's where I kind of go to the other your side, where I'm like, "Well, if he's acquitted, if he's acquitted of all charges from everything, it's unsubstantiated." Why are we talking about it? Why does it have to be included in this Wikipedia? We don't need, that's a non-issue. You know what I mean? So like. Well, it's, it's just, it's part of his life history. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's, it is something of note insofar as like, Hey, these people, even though he, it's not like, uh, OJ was acquitted. Do we talk about anything else other than, than <laughs> I mean, come on. Is it, like, I mean, other, other, other than what he, what he did in Vegas, which, uh, you know. Good I, point. So I'll, I'll circle back to when yeah. my kids were watching the movie, they said, oh, my gosh, is this like an updated Star Wars? Because <laughs> the beginning has such a after the Egypt scene it has such a such a Star Wars theme. And, and they definitely caught on to that right away. Yeah, well, it, it, it uses the, you know, the vastness of space motif pulling into the uh, yeah the ships. It, yeah, it's um, it, I definitely see some nods to other vehicles you know not space vehicles but sci-fi vehicles um mm -hmm. so so you saw you saw it in theaters then i'm assuming yeah 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 and, you, and you, of course you own the dvd you're a serial watcher mm -hmm. how, how many times would you say that you've seen the movie you know i went through a period in the 90s i couldn't tell you i was talking to my friends about this i was like i probably have seen it 10 or 15 times but for me i don't like to waste time and i never watch movies twice I had a bunch of movies in the 90s that I would fall asleep to, sure. and I love them. And I they are the cheesiest. All of them were like Michael Bay. It was Con Air, <laughs> like Oof. Armageddon. Con Air is They're a great always, movie. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. What I like, I loved falling asleep to the cheesiest like action films. And one of the reasons that this stuck was number one, the cast was amazing. Like I was a huge Gary Oldman fan too, but it was the first adventure that I had seen that was really funny to me. Like funny, like Armageddon tried to do that, but like not as like, I don't know. It was a different edge, different feel for the well, comedy that you, the you, you wouldn't want to try to fall asleep to Armageddon. Cause I don't want to close my eyes. <laughs> I, You're really I don't, I don't want to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> I want to close my eyes. Yeah, mm -hmm. good job. That another Bruce so Willis smooth. movie. Another, so that's, that's another uh, Bruce Willis and uh, yeah. oh, Ben, ben Affleck. It must be them. It must be Bruce Willis, which I was never like a huge fan of, but like he's, yeah, no, it was dumb. Um, so there was like all these action adventure movies that I really enjoy, and I think I own all of them. And I would put they were like comfort movies to me. Well, speak, speaking of Bruce Willis, and this is the month of December, we have I you know we had Christmas our, our Christmas movie. movies Christmas to watch. Movie. Yeah, Die, yeah. Uh, Die Hard being mm -hmm. at the top Definitely. of the list, of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely yeah. Christmas movie. Definitely. Um, 
So, so who is your favorite character, and why is it Ruby Rod? I mean, I, I, I as I out of because obviously that's my own, that's my favorite character. I think that Chris Tucker is so ridiculous, and and it's you know we were, we were talking about how it's like uh, antithetical to feminism, like the way that people are dressed and their actions and stuff. But I, I, I it's like making fun of uh, that hyper romantic character you know what i mean it, it, I, mm-hmm. I just i just think he's hysterical and the haircut is super funny to me they um, did such a good job with the costume and the everything costume, well yeah. here's the thing like and it's too bad that his career kind of stalled out after rush hour but i was well, what do you mean did then. rush hour two rush hour three <laughs> rush hour four uh <laughs> well for me i liked friday like I was Friday's like, oh, it's the dude from Friday. Like yeah. that was. That's, that's was how like, I saw him too. That and, and uh, Deaf Comedy Jam is how I was yeah. introduced to Chris Tucker. Um, yeah, which is. But did big, you, you know the yeah. pr- Prince was gonna be? It was either Prince or Michael Jackson they wanted to tap for the role of Ruby Rod. I couldn't even see that. Like not even for one second. You needed that palpable energy. Yeah. And like I, you and I talked prior. I met. Prince when I was my freshman year I was a gopher don't you know oh. and he had um oh sure oh sure yeah <laughs> there's and that there's that up. Wisconsin <laughs> he would show up in um the clubs he's tiny but I don't think he would have breathed he would have been sultry so, <laughs> like he would have brought a lot of sultry vibe to it but he wouldn't have been able to give kind of that like pop that, that Tucker brings. Well, and I think that the comedic aspect that, that Chris Tucker brings to it, because, like, he, you know, he's been uh, quoted as saying, like, you know, he would grow up, like, he would entertain his family by imitating Michael Jackson and his dancing in the living room for his family and friends, and they'd come over for, like, Christmas dinner and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, like, he, you can you can definitely see that in his mannerisms and just, yeah, I, I think they just gave him agency over the role, and he really, really made it his own. Um, yeah. And it's a good framing device, too, uh, I think. Just, like, the the live radio show that's with, you know, like, 50 billion users or listeners, rather, what have you, just like, uh, live streaming a terrorist attack on a spaceship. It's just, yeah. it's just a ridiculous concept to me. Um, <laughs> but, no, Corbin Dallas was always... I loved it. I loved it. He, and it, I guess he had the same, he pulls off a reluctant hero, the same in Armageddon. He's like, ah, I don't want to be here. That's how I feel about life and momming. Almost every alien, like, ah, I don't want to be the boss. Ah, here we go. <laughs> and so there's something about that, like, reluctant hero that I, I really, Mia Jovovich is probably second because her acting performance in it is brilliant. So good. Did you hear about how they had the, the language that she says in the beginning is so sharp and their diction is just amazing. And I read that her and Luke Besson used to write letters in that language. Yeah, they leave each other notes. It's, yeah, it's, it has like at least, I think it was like 400 character, you know, like words that they had translated. And then, yeah, that, that capacity to develop and, and use uh, languages. I mean, I, I speak English and Spanish as a secondary language, but it, does, it doesn't necessarily come easily. So it's it, that's that was very interesting to me. Brilliant. Um, I mean, and executed like you're just like, yep, nope, that's what she's saying. That's definitely a language. Well, and her <laughs> no. emphasis and the way that she, when she's talking to Corbin at first, and, and she just like goes off on this rant in the divine language. <laughs> 
but you can kind of follow what she's saying because of her, you know, her hand accompaniment. Um, I'm sure is something that because you do you speak or speak. Uh, do you sign ASL? I'm a terrible deaf person. I do not. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a terrible Jew. I didn't light one candle for Hanukkah this year. Yeah, it's just, so it's, yeah. I mean, I probably li I'm dating somebody that's Jewish, so that's funny because I lighted two menorahs. <laughs> there you go. Hey, well, I, I I can sign a little bit of ASL and you lit some. There you go. Candles. So you go. yeah. We'll transfer yeah. from each other to each other. It'll there be fine. Go. Yeah. Um, no, it, it it's a good language to know. It's actually a dying language, but um, I felt like um, with this movie, that was pretty cool. I didn't realize that they were writing these these notes in language. So that was well. They were obviously was... love notes. I mean, they were right. <laughs> yeah, I know. They ended up together, but that only lasted for two years. I mean, throwing away one marriage for another fleeting one is uh, Ooh, yeah. But that's a very French move, too. <laughs> oh, it could be American. Come on. We just, you know, it definitely probably happens in, in our culture. I've never been married. I think it looks scary. I read stories like this, and I'm like, oh. Oh, for, oh it for sure happens here. I'm just being mean to the French because a Frenchman was mean to me when I was a lad, when I was in Paris. And I hold on to that still to this day, something no, like 20 know. years later. So I have a lot of resentment towards the French. No, I'm kidding. The French are a beautiful people. I very much enjoyed uh, their wine and, and culture. Um, and their movies. And their, and their movies. movies. It sounds like he really um, tried to do stuff in America, but I don't think it's translated. So if you've noticed a lot of his film, his filmography is just went all French all the time, you know. Um, and, just, and that's how they like it. Um <laughs> I think they do. I definitely I think, I think, think they, they do. do. I think they do. And that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so what's your favorite scene in the movie? Um, I think you and I talked about this, but I would, it's dumb, but I, the, the visuals on the first New York scene were my favorite. The one with where they have a little Chinese boat and you can just see New York and the taxi cabs and what they envisioned. For I the did like the little uh, putt putt junk boat slash food <laughs> truck yeah that one that guy was cool um, so did you hear the backstory about how that came to be this is kind of no. neat um there was an old comic writer in the 60s that partnered up with luke basson and he wrote the Lever uh, the valerian comic okay and his nickname was mobius anyway moving right along your yeah. <laughs> about that so this guy's name is Mobius. I don't know if he's big in sci-fi like comics. Um, but Seems like a sci-fi comic book name. Yeah. Yeah. So he originally this was set in like a um, not a city with taxi cabs. He wrote it originally as like in a desert or something that was not a city. Like you originally he was like a, a factory worker. He worked in a factory instead of a taxi cab or okay. something like that. And um, the cartoon, the guy, the comic guy was like, no, you need to change this visually. So he's a taxi cab and we make this futuristic New York. And I just feel like it, they just nailed it. It was so neat. If you've ever spent any time in Manhattan to see, like, it looks like it wouldn't be far off if we had these flying cars. Yeah, it really isn't. It has the whole skyscraper structure. I think it's interesting, too, that they have the fog layer level. Um, you know, that's closer to the ground where there, you know, the pollution kind of just like 
you know, settles among the ground. But it's, uh, yeah, I, so I, I, I lived off of 5th and 8th near Washington Park uh, uh, oh, sure in, you did. in New York. Yeah. And, and then uh, they have, like, it's perfect. Like, you've so got does, this messy house, and it's a yeah. little untidy, and a Jewish mother calls, and I'm like, why don't you call me? Like, I loved it. Like, and the, the, uh, the cigarettes are, like, 80% filter, you know, because, like, they're trying to help you quit. Yeah, those are... Those are great. I know there's so much smoking. I was like, oh, boys, because I'm watching it with my kids. I was like, don't do that. We're yeah. fine. No, we don't do that. <laughs> it's French. They should know that too. Everybody. Anyway, so it's weird that that would be. Yeah, that's probably no, but that's it. a, it's a good it's a good framing device too. It kind of shows this dystopian future that exists despite itself. You know, um, <laughs> which I think is uh, it's a pretty accurate depiction of where we would be heading uh, should we make it to the twenty third century. Um, <laughs> Everybody can look up their points on their driver's license and lose them while you're in the car. It's going to happen. Right. <laughs> right, right. I totally see that. Do, do, um, do, you have a, do you have a least favorite scene by chance or like one that you think could have been done better or like a, a part of the arc that was either kind of like forced or? That's a good question because I was watching it with my boys last night and I admittedly like had seen the movie so I fell asleep. My boys want to watch it when I come back today. But like um, it did get muddled when everybody's flying on the ship to get to the, which ironically I worked at club med and I guess they ver did that version. Like you were going to club med, which actually it is when you go to club med and club med started, I worked for club med corporate in college and it's a French company and their Island that they go to float, flow, floatus. I can't remember the name of the, Floss the Island. Flossed in Paradise. That's it. Or, well, it's um, Planet Flossed in. Flossed in Paradise is the name of the ship. Lost, yes. Yeah. So it, there was label. It was actually um, themed after Club Med. And it's like that. You go in, you have the DJs that come in, their shows, and it's, like, very lively and nice. sexual, actually. So so it's just a, a yeah, it, it is a, what existed at the time. Because there was, you know, there's Sandals, there's Atlantis, there's Club Med, right. there's all, the, you know, all these different right. things. like. Yeah, no, that's 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 interesting I, that because you it is that all inclusive and and well so let me ask yeah. you this then like would you want to live in the future portrayed in the movie like perhaps not the okay. social construct because that doesn't seem so great but or right. like the late like the hyper late stage capitalism uh, but I find like the technology and automation interesting to say the least yeah yes yes I probably would I probably would if yeah. it had a different social construct because I was like oh. Um, but I felt like as far as story art goes, it was hard for my little to understand who was jumping on that bus and why, and who was the bad guy and who wasn't, which actually was like 10 bad guys. Like it was two bad guys that were going on and Zog, it gets a little muddled when you're, everybody's jumping on that ship to follow who's, who's who for a second. Sure. And so kind of like, that's probably my only, um, awareness of anything that might be a little weaker on the story arc or yeah construction yeah, side. It was, yeah it was funny because i was just looking at it through this lens of these 12 and 6 year olds that are like what is going on right now and they hid the they'd have to shake their faces and they became the alien and so you yeah didn't without know. without exposure to similar tech uh you know or con or context it would it, i'm sure it would be a little confusing and that's but why like, i'm a serial watcher even now I, i'll watch something two three times and pick up on nuances or you know or, or components of the story or visual effects that i didn't quite see or didn't land the first time or was distracted or what have you um <laughs> and not to like um go into a different um 
there was a great sci-fi movie this year and I'm it's the name of it is failing me and it's, I had to watch it twice and I had to watch it with subtitles and I was like I don't know what's going on here and it was so good is it and a foreign I, language film it was not it was um I'm trying to pull it up here oh it was by Christopher Nolan um okay that doesn't it was by Christopher Nolan uh they did time travel um with um armies and like there was a war coming and they were trying to um I'm pulling it up right now. Like They're Star trying. Trek. It was so good. Uh, uh, it's not in, he's the same guy who did Inception. Yeah. And like, what was the one that he just did? And it was nominated for like sound editing and things like that. What, that was uh, first... Tenet? What's it? Tenet. Tenet. I loved that movie. I was so surprised it wasn't nominated for more. It was so confusing, though, to, and I had to watch it with closed captions, kind of like what you were saying, and I just thought it was brilliant. Um, I didn't realize that it was about time travel. Technically, it is, yeah, about going back in the future and back in the past, you know. Yeah, it was good, um, but it was confusing, so you had to read it in subtitles, and you had to watch no, it twice. Nolan is a fan of these you know, confusing movies. Inception is... That's when I definitely had to watch twice. At least. I think I might have even seen it three times by this point. But it makes you feel so small. I'm like I don't know what my brain hurts. Well, okay, but you know, like this, these guys have spent months, if not years, developing scripts and story arcs, and like you know, if you don't get it in the first two hours, that doesn't mean that you're a dummy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> did you see Tenet? I haven't seen it, but it, I'm putting it on the list now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll check yeah. it out for sureies check it with the um and i was like i said it got nominated for like um editing sound editing and visual effects but no no story stuff which um i really am a huge fan of batman begins is my favorite batman movie but god it didn't didn't work out for nolan for that effort but yeah if you get if you get a chance um yeah yeah, yeah. No, I'm, a, I'm a fan of uh john uh john david washington so i i definitely will uh we'll check it out um where can we see you next? Yeah, so I'm really, um, really looking forward to this one because it's going to make me feel like a real comedian race. Like, what? Nice. Yeah, wow. um, I'm at the Northwest Film Forum in two Fridays on the 17th. Um, my buddy produces uh, a comedy for people who have disabilities. So a bunch of anybody that's going up has some sort of disability. So I'll be talking about my ability not to do sign language as a deaf person. <laughs> Because I'm single-sided deaf, um, I I have a dead ear, so we're gonna be talking about that kind of. I'm super excited about it, so that's that's where I'm gonna be. How about you? What do you what do you got in the mix? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my it's it's uh, it's my birthday month, so I, I don't I don't have any uh, any shows other than just open mics and stuff. But at the turn of the year, I will be uh, booking some shows at local venues, uh, playing the Fun House Lounge in southeast portland uh which is going to be super fun but yeah no i uh, after having successfully moved here finally uh from south florida i i'm in the range of writing a solid 30 so that's okay, good yeah good. that's what's uh next on the horizon cool we will definitely link up and keep yes. me in mind definitely for more sci-fi movies uh i'll be there during the summertime hitting the portland scene they've got a great mic scene down there too so yeah, should sure, be fun sure and if you're do. up here yeah definitely um yeah i have i have third cousins that live up in in the kirkland seattle area so i'll, I'll definitely be 
Roman, we can get weird. Roaming the PNW. Let's get weird. I'm not, I'm yeah, let's get weird. <laughs> well, th thanks great. for getting weird with me today. I appreciate it. And, thanks uh, for having me, Ruth. I really, that was great. Awesome. Oh, it's time for your water cooler fact. You know that blue alien opera singer? Yeah, her name's actually Plava Laguna. And that pit in her stomach isn't stage fright. It's elemental stones. Much like the movie's tone, the music by French composer Eric Serra was epic. However, even his compositions proved a little bit too lofty for Albanian soprano Inva Mula, who provided the singing voice for Diva Plava Laguna in the film. When Sarah showed Mula the sheet music for the Diva dance, she reportedly smiled and told him that some of the notes written weren't humanly possible, since the human voice can't change notes and octaves that quickly. Let's listen in on a clip of that super awesome sequence. She achieved the impressive feat by performing the notes in isolation and then having it pieced together back digitally later on. The diva herself is played by Maiwene Labesco, who was married to uh, director, and, and I feel like I'm butchering that, Maiwene Labesco, let's go with that, who was married to director Luc Besson when she was just 16 years old. He was 33 at the time. Originally, the actress who Besson had casted for the role dropped out, so his wife took over. But not for long, because Besson left his wife in 1997 during filming of the movie for none other than Mila Jovovich. The two were quickly divorced two years later in 1999. Well, folks, that about wraps it up for The Fifth Element. Oh, wait... Did I not reveal what the fifth element actually was? It's love. Aww. Yes, that's right. The whole movie is about how the power of love can save the universe. Ain't that the truth? So love yourselves and each other. Because if we don't, an evil slime ball will hurtle itself at us through space. And I just don't know if Bruce Willis has it in him to do a reboot. But then again, old habits do die hard. I'd like to thank my sources for this episode, which are Fandom.com, IMDB, and my wonderful wife and research partner, Amanda. We switch back to TV next week for a peep into the vast world of Doctor Who. This four-part series will start with a look into the first four docs to take control of the TARDIS, followed with an interview with fellow comedian Danielle Porter, 
before her open mic here in southeast Portland at Growler's Tap Room on 82nd. That's on Wednesdays. Priority goes to women, LGBTQIA plus people, and other queer and or non-hetero white men, which is pretty cool. Thanks for listening in and tuning out. Join us next week, Tuesday, from 8 to 9 a.m. here only on Shady Pines Radio. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesdays. Starting at 10 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. At 11 a.m., Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien. The Blue Hour with Blue Adams at noon. The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy at 2 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beat Chef with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with Elrond Hubbard at 5 p.m. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 6 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with your psychic friends with Oskin and Mags. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. And at 10 p.m., Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio. Shady Pines Radio, that cool, delicious internet sensation for your ears, is now available as a beer. Wait, what? Oh, sh- that's so cool! Shady Pines Radio, in cahoots with Fire on the Mountain Brewing, presents Shady Pines IPA, created by brewmaster and Shady Pines DJ, Ben Nerling of the Wanderlust Radio Hour. Shady Pines IPA, refreshing and flavorful, made with organic barley, a splash of rye, and a trio of organic Pacific Northwest hops with piney, tropical, and floral notes. Pair that up with Fire on the Mountain sandwiches, pizza, salad, and of course their classic wings, and you've got taste bud satisfaction. Now available on tap or carry out in 24-ounce Shady Pines radio-themed crowlers at all three Portland Fire on the Mountain locations, with a portion of sales going towards supporting Shady Pines Radio. Visit portlandwings.com to find the Fire on the Mountain location nearest to you and buy a crowler of Shady Pines IPA today. Uh, I don't have any spin doctors. I don't have any speech writers. Probably shows. I make those charts you see on television even, that's Since we're dealing with voodoo economics, a great young lady from Louisiana sent me this voodoo stick, and I will use it as my pointer tonight. These guys want to make this kind of money. They ought to be TV anchormen, basketball players, uh, or rock stars. This has been a good deal for both Canada and the United States. Both have gained jobs, both have gained trade flows, both have become more competitive in the world marketplace as a result. And there is a tooth fairy and there is an Easter bunny. Do you want a government that comes at you from Washington or do you want a government that comes from you? Okay. Who do the people in Washington work for? Who pays their salaries? I want to be your president. Yikes, that doesn't sound familiar.